be the best for us because we can get like 10, 20,000 views on a clip. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the whole game here. Welcome to the Price Fall Podcast. We are so happy to have Tim Grisman of Natural Body Inc. here. It's September twenty sixth of twenty twenty three. We got some a lot to catch up on. We last had you on the podcast episodes forty four and forty five um, with the Authority Report. You were helping us to translate Kenton. So this is a. Uh, <laughs> it's great to have you here alone. Um, I'm also here with Ben, of course. And so we just kicked it off just talking a little bit about uh, podcasting. And of course, Ben's going to come in and try to get you to give us the, the banger one minute Instagram clip. So when you, you could always tell when Ben's got a question like that. But anyway, welcome, Tim. How's it been lately? It's been great. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, I know a lot of this is going to be directed at the, the Black Friday, but that's been that consumes us for really 90 days on the run up to it. So that's what we were heads down focused on. And then of course that happened. So now we're sort of moving out of block party wrap up mode and then on to Q4, but it's been good, really good. I definitely want to recap that, but I actually see us getting into a lot more. I mean, the the, pot, the block party is, is obviously epic. It's it's huge and, and you guys drive a lot of newness at that show, but you know, 365 days a year, seems like you guys are, you're forced to be reckoned with. And uh, I also want to document you talking about the flyby because I, I don't think Mike watches the flyby very much. But um, I, 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 I'll I toot my horn a little bit. I make a lot of content in this industry. But like flyby is like a different level that I, I have a lot of respect for. You know, it, it's it started out as a joke. You guys, I think I've told that story on a podcast if it wasn't the price pile. But it it really turned into just a reason to show up and like clock in every day. And then I know from the stuff that you post that probably resonates with you, but like the guys know just, Hey Tim, it's like, you know, two o'clock or whatever. The orders are ready. I drop the screen and they put on music to like white noise me. Cause I'm just like, whatever, like, uh, Asbergian enough that I can't have a bunch of stuff going on around me that, you know, and I, I just do it. And, I try not to even think too much about it because you start questioning it and then you're just like, I'm not going to do it. So it's really my way of like getting on the board every day. And I don't know how that became the medium. I do know that it seems almost perfectly suited to me. So like other people have tried some version of this and that doesn't bother me at all, but for whatever reason, theirs don't seem to stick. So I don't know if I took it like a fish to water, or if that's just a good medium for me, but um, it's, quasi pithy. And I think the thing that resonates the most about it, because I've thought about this a lot, like why that is it's just people ordering and there's no real gamesmanship behind it. It's, you know, that is a random snippet. It's funny because my verbosity, um, it started at like 12 orders and we've just, we've just cut it over the years. Like it's down to like five and they're like, all right, dude, like you got, you know, 40 minutes and we need to move. So it's like people are like, oh, they do five orders a day, but it's it's just a random snippet of five orders. But yeah, I, I think that's the part it, that a lot of a lot of content now is polished, right? It's this pre-workout is launching on this day, and here are the tasting notes. This is just like five people that may or may not even watch the flyby. We may have got them from Google AdWords. We may have gotten them from Instagram. They may have just arrived there organically through Google and ordered something from our site. And of course, yes, a lot of the orders say you know, long time flyby watcher or whatever, but it's just a, that's the thing. It's a toss of the dice every day. And you see what sort of happens on our website behind the curtain. And I think that resonates more with consumers. It's like, oh, that guy is like me, kind of. It could be me. I could be that person. I think one of the reasons that it, it works so well is because 
um, so, like you said, mo- so much of the industry is very polished content, which and I understand like there's a huge differentiator between when I sit down and record a video and it gets edited for two hours and there's captions and all this stuff and it's super polished. I love that about stories in general is you can just flip the camera, just go and just talk and people are, are interested in a little bit more informal content, but also you mix and match brands all the time on there. And you talk about the interactions, you know, Alpha Line has this product, but you know, Glaxon has this product and, and why they might work together, which like doesn't often happen because usually you want to talk about a specific product and you don't really want to mix brands because it kind of steps on toes. And, and you, I mean, I'm sure you can appreciate that, but you're putting together stacks of like, you know, condemned labs and then something very, very light. And it's, it's, it, they work together. They create these credible stacks, which is a very retail discussion, honestly. Yeah. I was going to say much to their chagrin, right? That there's mixing Like that's like a yeah. common, you know, but listen, I totally get, if I had a brand, it's like your kid, you have to be prideful about your brand. And of course you want everyone to order top to bottom your brand. And a lot of the forward thinking brands, really, I think it's the cost of admission anymore is the brands have to be, or the brand itself has to be interoperable. So you have to have pre-workout and pump sort of designed to go together, but that doesn't mean that you can't mix and match across brands. And again, that was like a, one of the, I'm rolling out this series on Instagram. I, I think one of you guys commented, maybe Mike the other day, but it's like the founding principles of the flyby, but really that's a sticky name for things I tried to beat into consumers' heads is that you don't have to order top to bottom brand X, right? And honestly, Ben, you have your, uh, this isn't your typical backdrop for like your reels, but you have that wall of supplement behind you. And that's like, Hey, what am I in the mood for? What's going to taste good together? What kind of workout am I doing? What time is it? And how much ancillary caffeine have I had already today? All that stuff's like a moving target. And I, I feel like, you know, it's, it's like the, some, I forget the, the origin of the quote, but it's like, no man, uh, you can't step in the same river twice because it's not the same river and you're not the same man. Like, there's no two days, no matter, no matter how much you try to routinize it and, and you just arrive at 3 p.m. at the gym every day or whatever, it's still fun to say, hey, I want blue raspberry today or, you know, what? I'm pretty tired. I'm going to go high stem pre-workout or, hey, I had a, a black eye, be, uh, you know, from Starbucks because I was tired this morning. So now I need to, to dial back my caffeine for this workout. I think that's more where like the rubber meets the road for consumers, right? That's more of like a real world scenario. So that's kind of the behavior you see on those orders, I think. Yeah. I, I, Mike recently got big on cogogen from Morphogen, which I know you guys just picked up recently. And it's funny because we start making these uh, pieces of content where we're like, you know, you've already had your energy drink in the morning and you don't want to have your high stem pre-workout. So you have this other pre-workout and you're covered. And it's, it's, funny. it's funny because like three years ago, I felt silly saying like have four pre-workouts in your cupboard because everyone would have like one pre-workout and like the customer Mm -hmm. cycle every 30 days would go to a different one. And people would be like, well, you know, price plow, it's nice that you have 75 pre-workouts in your kitchen, but I can't, but I think that now I think between a combination of your flyby content and our content and just the overall industry, people have opened up to that concept of having a, a, like a customizable stack almost. Well, the, the rule I point to or sort of the exception that proves the rule is like, this was on the flyby yesterday, but if you look at say alpha line, right, this, this came up, they have, I think five pre-workouts that I can buy. And then they have superhuman essential that might be like Walmart, uh, FDM, right. I, I, I can't get it. Maybe it's only D to C, but it's like their entry level 
sort of like the bum essential one, right? That's like their low price point. So they really have six pre-workouts in their stable, like which is a de facto or tacit admission from them that even their own brand doesn't fit into one size fits all solution, right? And I mean, there's other brands like that too, but that's just a recent example top of mind. But if they're saying, hey, we encounter so many consumers that we have six different buckets to catch you in, that seems to bespeak the need for multiple offerings, maybe even in your own cabinet, right? But both intra-brand and from multiple brands, because that, that was what I was sort of getting at with the river comment, because you're not yeah. always in the same situation. So yeah, you can sort of pick, like, this is like the, the guys work with me were making fun of me because I didn't really get the daily driver reference for a while. And they were like, oh, it's a car. And I was like, oh, right. So, but like, there's the one that you reach for the most often, but then there's all these marginal cases where maybe you don't want any stims at all that day. Maybe, you know, you need a lighter touch, maybe whatever. You're you're really sleep deprived. And the old solution, like you were saying, would be just to scoop the one you have and ride it out. But instead you can slot. And the same thing with, with proteins, right? Like you don't have to drink the same flavor of protein every day. It's super funny that you actually didn't catch the daily driver thing because um, I threw something out there on live a while ago. And it's funny, Mike and I keep joking like that people actually listen to us. It's fu sometimes funny when you like, you put something out into the ether of social media and you don't really think about it. And then all of a sudden people start repeating it back to you and you're like, Wow, I have to think think about the words that I'm saying. But one of the first times that I did this and someone repeated it back was you. I said that if it takes me more than 30 seconds to pick my pre-workout, I would just pick Nutribio Pre back in the day because it was like 28 grams of all actives. And like at the time, it was like really like that was the standard that like, you know, beta alanine, citrulline, beta betaine and hydrous. And that for me, like that was daily driver back then. And it's funny because that's changed so much because now I would say that 28 grams is not a daily driver. I would say like sebum essential is like a daily driver where it's like the bare minimums, uh, just the basics. Uh, but I think everyone might have their own definitions for themselves on those kinds of things. So that to me is the quintessential don't make me think formula, right? I don't want to have to add a commodity creatine or something to it or beta alanine because I, I perceive that to be a whole or... Maybe I want to add six extra grams of citrulline or something to a pre-workout that doesn't have it. Um, with that one, that was what I got. So it's funny because we're almost getting different things from your comment. But it's like, I don't even want to worry about this. I just want to I just want to go to the gym knowing that I've covered my bases for the day. It, and it was like, it's crazy because like you said, it might not be perfectly true now. But eight years ago, it was almost on an island, right? It was, it was really the offer. It was like, I, get, I can remember it and pre-gym and original outlift were like the three almost sequentially i'm not quite sure how exactly that would time up but they were like the ones that started to buck the trend of ultra concentrated pre-workouts I, I got a lot of trash for this a couple weeks ago but i said that outlift the clinical outlift was kind of like one of the I don't remember the word I used to describe it. Uh, I'm sure it was probably some sort of overstatement. But at the time, it was not normal to have full doses of clinical ingredients and not have some sort of proprietary stimulant blend. It was just, this is the caffeine, this is the citrulline, this is the betaine, this is the beta alanine, this is what you're getting. And at the time, I loved it because at that point in my life, I was very, very like bare bones. I just want what just what works. I don't need any extra stimulants. And I've kind of had like a bell curve where I've come back to that later in my life. Um, but at the time, no one was doing that. It was basically them, like you said, 
I think Nutrio and Jim Stepani came kind of similarly close after that. Um, I don't think Nutrix gets enough credit for what they did there. I took Outlift Amped for 18 months as my daily driver. Like, not that, you know, again, we're spoiled, right? Like, people are like, oh, you work at, I mean, yes, I have unbelievable amount of variety, but that was my sort of catch-all. And I just liked the slightly more stimulant flavor of it back then. But it was still fully disclosed. That was very novel at the time. You know, right? I don't think we carried Nutribio at the time. Right, it shows you how. Which is, they're one of our top vendors now, but they really had an ascendance. But yeah, those were like the tip of the spear. I think and the consumer behavior was changing. So yeah, whichever one foretold the other. But I think people were just getting worn out of the ultra concentrates, or you were getting this new behavior where they really were going, okay, here's my favorite ultra concentrate: six grams citrulline, five grams creatine. They were dressing up their stimpres, and and you know, so you had a new. I think uh, those brands were like, really, like you said, they don't get enough credit for looking around the corner because that really just ushered in a whole new thing. I I, I just had a note to Mike really quickly. I love when he does these rolling starts where he just starts recording when we're already talking because like this is already like got great energy to it. Um, but I, he always gives me shit for not, yet? Like, yeah, I, I know he gives me shit for not like setting the setting usually often enough. So to, to, to pull the scope back a little bit, we've never really like introduced natural body. And I think, I, I assume Mike wants to talk about that as well. Um, no, I, I, I want, I had a question just in general, Tim, this is a total guess. So how many, your average consumer walking into the store, the average gym bro who's using pre-workout, how many pre-workouts would you say on average are in those people's cabinets at this point? Do you have a guess at all? Like, I think you don't most... want to oversell pre-workout every time they walk in, but you know, they oftentimes <sighs> want more than one. Well, that's a tough sell to get two pre-workouts on a single ticket. I right. think the, the person that w- is doing that is sort of self-selecting into that because they're uh, an enthusiast. They're an avid consumer. I think a very common behavior now is you have people that will buy multiple different energy drinks and use those often and also have a pre-workout sort of in the chamber. And I think, the behavior that's coming, I would say more mainstream because again, it's hard for me too. And I'm sure for you guys, like you have to take your price ball glasses off and be like, okay, we're dealing with yeah. like niche, like hyper consumers. Right. right. That's it why I'm asking it, you. Yeah. Right. So, but the behavior that I think is getting more entrenched now is you will get uh, a pre-workout and a creatine or a pre-workout and a pump product are sort of de rigueur when that wasn't the case before, like you had a lot of consumers sort of lamenting, like, isn't there one thing that would, can just do all this for me? But you know, now you're going to get, you're getting a hydration. Uh, I'm sure you guys are seeing that trend. So now that's a common additive to tickets. So I don't know if we're getting a lot of people that will come in and willfully self-select into two, but you do kind of get like his, hers, right? Oh, this is for my girlfriend. What do you like? And, and, you know, I really like that too, but it's sometimes not enough energy for me or what. So yeah, I don't know if we're quite there yet where everyone just is slotting double pre-workouts, but I think people are more promiscuous with it too. Like if you think about it, it was sacrilege years ago where like you said, you would just go through 30 days of, like you had to, like you couldn't buy something else until you finish your tub. Now by promiscuous, I mean, they're reaching out to their friends and saying, hey, scoop for scoop or whatever, or they, they, they will purchase a new pre-workout with some left of the old one. And then that becomes the second pre-workout in their cabinet. Yeah, we get these. I, I take it as a compliment. We got some feedback on our Discord the other day that the Discord is the reason why they have like seven opened 
three tubs right now. Uh, and and, I, and there's been similar comments. Actually, our, our Discord's a huge fan because Dustin's in there where he sends all these deals and makes our friends spend all of their money. Um, <laughs> but I think that there's been a, a really interesting change really in what people consider for like, like I think they've like all of a sudden have a whole cupboard just for pre-workout now, it almost seems like, which is really funny because you've mentioned a couple times like changes in consumer, like prioritization of 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 goals and things like that and i was joking a couple weeks ago because someone called well this is actually a big trend i see a lot on tiktok is someone calling uh beta alanine and or creatine a filler in pre-workout and and i i can understand a lot of discussion around the usefulness in the acute of creatine and beta alanine but specifically the word filler to me is such a misnomer for what that is um but i i called back to a time when you would go on the bodybuilding.com forums and they would tell you that the perfect pre-workout was black coffee creatine and beta alanine and that was it and nowadays it's almost upside down from there which i find very interesting well what what resonates with me with that is that people really enjoy energy drinks myself included based on the, the frequency of your review is probably the same right so <laughs> And, and there used to be this thing where people would just get an energy drink, but it wasn't necessarily connected to the workout. You know, it was now you have companies that are putting some performance ingredients in there or maybe some cognitive ingredients or whatever, cholines and B vitamins. And they're making it a functional beverage, not just a experiential beverage. But consumers now have this anxiety where they're like, Hey, uh, can I have a ghost pre-workout? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can. Like, it's all right. You're forgiven, you know, but, but then they're like, but is it good? And you're like, well, you're, you, I don't like when they sort of feel guilty about that because you're, you're, when you buy an energy drink, you're sort of self-selecting into I'm prioritizing convenience and, and experience and fun and novelty and whatever sensation over. No one is saying that, that powdered pre-workouts um, or, you know, canned pre-workouts are better than powder, but I don't want them running that software where they feel guilty about like the joke I always told was like, there's like three guys in my gym that are like the fittest guys, right? The one guy is going to take a super souped up pre-workout and the other guy is going to take a C4 energy. And like, does that mean that, you know, the, the fittest guy taking C4 is the best, like that's the best choice? No, but that's what he prefers, you know? So it, you really can't draw conclusions from that but like i'm really using this to comment on your filler thing right and and so consumers are getting like i said more promiscuous with this like can i take a nootropic pre-workout can i take an energy drink pre-workout but then they they're being hit on the other side of that coin with like where's the efficacious clinically backed you know ingredients and this is where they're getting confused i think and like that's always been another underpinning thing of mine is just like it's all right you're gonna be all right you know, like you didn't have, you forgot the creatine that day. Like no one died. Like, did you leave some gains on the table? Maybe. But if you were really in the mood for like a ghost that day and you had a great workout, like just let it ride. Like you're going to be fine. You know? So I, like, it's funny, but it, to me, it shouldn't even need to be said. But unfortunately, I think consumers are also carrying like that net level of like people think that I have an ax to grind when I did the whole no best thing, but I was trying to forgive them so they could like I love supplements. I I tried to apply at GNC when I was 16 and they told like a dejected 16-year-old Tim in the suburbs of Illinois, like you have to be 18 to work here. 
And I just haven't really looked back since then. But like, I wouldn't run like Ben, when you drink a, uh, whatever your drug of choice is before you go roll, you're not like spending half of your session in, on the mat going, Oh my God, I don't know if there's enough betaine in that, that like, I'm, you know, I probably got pinned because of the lag, like, but like, the, it's funny to us, but they're doing that. And like, I want that to go away because it, to me, it's like a net drag on your ability to enjoy this. Yeah. I, man, there's a lot of really great tidbits in there. I, what I love about this stuff is like, once you get to the point, kind of what you're describing here, where you can step back and look at all of it as just data and information and feedback, because man, I've probably got 300 pre-workouts in my condo and 95% of them would be great for most workouts. But if you gave me like a specific, if you were like, this is the kind of workout I want to do, I would very easily pare it down into a very select few that I would choose for that. But you know, if you took, like you said, if you took one of the other powders, like you probably still have a great time. You know what I mean? And it's funny because I, I've recently gotten a little bit more into discussing pre-workouts for endurance training, discussing pre-workouts for bodybuilding style training, CrossFit, functional, whatever. And then I, I get these people that are like, well, you know, is it okay if I take these other things? I'm like, I may be overplaying a little bit the detriments of taking like I, I like to point out, like, if you take a really pumpy pre-workout before doing jujitsu or like Mike is like a, you know, open water swimmer, your biceps and lats might pump up a little bit too much and it might be uncomfortable, but it's not going to ruin the session. I don't think, I, I don't know. Mike, Mike might say that it probably might ruin it up for, for him, but I will, I mean, I'll slightly disagree. I, I, one of my races this year, I did three races. I took too much pump and, um, I had two races right in a row. I got so pumped up from the, the the butterfly in the first race that my hundred freestyle in the second race was it was messed up. It was, it, it hurt, but, um, I, I kind of laughed it off. Who cares? You know, it's a master swimming. I'm 40, whatever years old. So, but yeah, so it can't matter. I just think that's funny that people have like, anxiety or regrets over it. I, I, to a degree, we want people to care that much. We love that people care, but like care more about your protein intake or whatever it is. Um, to me, the regrets are usually on the other end. It's like, oh man, that was too much alpha yohimbine for me or whatever. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I guess like if you, a lot of these ingredients are not acute. So like if you still have time to, to get more creatine later and everything. So that's why I think having the you know, extra creatine sale in there is always going to make sense and everything. Um, that's pretty funny. So Tim, you, you kind of mentioned your, um, your background a little bit. Can you give it, I don't know if we've ever gotten your full background because the other podcast had multiple people. So can we like talk about 16 year old Tim, like, and how he got to where he is now? Sure. Yeah. Uh, the sort of elevator pitch version is, mm -hmm. um, I went away to, to school, uh, for football and I had, uh, I don't like to say this because people way over read into it, but I was uh, two years at Notre Dame. Um, it was the very last year of Ty Willingham. So I was a 04 high school grad in the very first year of Charlie Weiss and say what you want about, I mean, he's clearly offensively gifted. He was the offensive coordinator for a lot of those storied Patriots teams. He just had a contentious college football career. You know, I think even after ND at Kansas, he was, so when you're 18, you're not, you're not making perfect decisions with that. But, um, of the 18 scholarship kids in my class, I think all but two transferred out. I was one of them who transferred out. So I transferred to Eastern Illinois, which people know from Tony Romo, Jimmy Garoppolo. I perfectly split the needle between those two quarterbacks. <laughs> Did not have either, but I remember Romo came to talk to us uh, in a spring game one time 
Garoppolo was on his recruiting visit when I was there. But uh, in the same, exactly the same as that, I transitioned from marketing at ND to what Eastern calls exercise science, which is just a different name for exercise physiology. Um, like the one semester or summer, I, uh, I think it was a semester I, I took off while I was transferring. I took a bunch of molecular bio at a community college. Um, this is kind of how I ended up all over the place. I ended up with like 160 undergrad credits, right? So that's why I was like multiple, multiple, uh, multi-discipline disciplinary. And, um, my dad teases me all the time, but like I, I eschewed the marketing originally only to come back and work in business. So, um, but yeah, I get that question a fair amount and people think I may have more impressive science credentials than I do, but realistically, I just had a good under underpinning of, of like gross anatomy and, and then stuff like that. So, um, finished at Eastern and my first job after I got out was at uh, capital discount nutrition, uh, was one small stop at a gym, but ultimately capital discount nutrition and that's the brick and mortar arm of bestpricingnutrition.com. They're based out of the suburbs of Chicago, which is where I was from. That's how I linked up with those guys. Um, I moved two hours south. Uh, I was going to actually go back to school, pursue further education, and I I got a, a job at GNC. Uh, so that that's, that circle squares itself. Ultimately, I know Ben, former red poloed maniacs, uh, <laughs> but you learn a lot at those jobs, right? And I begrudgingly got promoted like five times. It was like, I, they just kept dragging me up the org chart because like guy in front of me quit guy in front of him, you know, left transferred, whatever. So I was able to parlay that into, uh, I was the Northeast regional sales manager for iForce nutrition. This would have been 2011, 2012. And I moved to Connecticut. Uh, I did that job for about 18 months during which time I met my now business partner, Steve at natural body and a ton of the accounts in the Northeast. I had like Pittsburgh to Philly to Maine, that whole corridor. There's only five territory reps in the, in the country. And uh, I worked with some notable other people, both at GNC and iForce. Uh, Mike Byers, who now owns Nutrition Factory, was the national sales director for iForce. Uh, my friend, Brandon Soika, he was with Compound and now he's he was with um, NutriShore, I believe, right? Was he a GNC RSD at the time, or how did you mean? Yeah, him? he wasn't my RSD. I think he got transferred from Ohio, and uh, we were peers at GNC. But he had been before, left to go work at Cellucor, and then came back. So we were both uh, senior sales managers there, SSMs. And then he got—he was the first one to go iForce. He—he he took the actual Midwest dirt for iForce, which I thought was. I was kind of like annoyed at the time, like we laugh about it now, but I thought he was like sort of shutting the door on me. And then they're like, oh no, they're also hiring for the Northeast. So we both went to iForce in parallel. Then he founded MyOCam. I don't know his whole trajectory, but I'm just pointing out that it's kind of, to me, always cool looking back to see all these people that are still actively involved in the industry and how we intersected. Um, you can't leave the sports nutrition industry, not for long at least. Yeah, I mean, like... <laughs> I don't know Dan at Ghost super well. I know Mike Wilkie very well. Mike and I are for, Mike and I worked at the same GNC. He was nutritional sciences at University of Illinois, but Dan was at Cellucor during this whole thing. Like so, there's that mid, in Connecticut. Yeah, the, well, yeah. Like it's just it's the, the amount of intersections are, are pretty wild. And then 2013, because I remember it was the year of Hurricane Sandy. I think it was 13 is when I ultimately joined Steve, and it was really he was my biggest account. 
And I was actually going to parlay that job into a job at GNC corporate through another friend in the industry. I don't know if you guys have ever made contact with Carter Gray, but he was at um, Muscle, oh gosh, the green one from Colorado. Muscle Farm. Muscle Farm for, Muscle Farm. for a while. Yeah. Then he went back to join mm -hmm. the category merchandising team at GNC at the time. Um, and he was going to pull me in there because I still had, you know, good name, good currency at GNC. So I had taken Steve out to dinner to say, hey, I'm going to Pittsburgh. And he was like, no, come join me. And I was like, yeah, cool story, man. Keep in touch. And he's like, dude, like for real. And that's kind of how I landed at Natural Body. So. so what was Steve doing before? How many stores did he have when you when you joined? Um, how, how did that conversation go? Did you decide to to go in partnership? And then he would, and you would expand a little bit or were you just like a, a sales guy or, or like manager at one store? How did it all start? Yeah. Like it was like this. So I have to give credit. It was really cool. I always say like if Shark Tank would have got their claws on it, it was like an 800 square foot, like epitome of what you imagine in Queens where it was just floor to ceiling, like inventory and the amount of revenue he was doing out of this one shop. So it was one when I met him was phenomenal. And he had a website, but it was nascent, it, you know, as maybe uh, five orders a day or something, right? It was mostly AdWords back then. And he was rolling up, a, a, he had a business partner. It was like one of his like childhood best friends sort of thing where that guy wanted out and it was amicable. Um, so he was rolling that up and he was basically like, hey, I'm currently buying out my business partner, but he didn't want to really expand. I do. And so I joined him not as an equity partner yet but we opened all the subsequent locations together. And that's kind of like when I made partner and then we really overhauled the website several times. So I, I'm, it's Steve and I's 10 year anniversary this year to sort of mentally track it. So I've been there for 10 years. Very cool. Yeah. Cool. Congrats. Thank you. Excellent. So um, when did, so then you started having this block party. That's kind of why we're here to talk. I mean, I'm happy to keep talking about pre-workouts too, but you, um, when was, were you there for the first block party? Or was this going on before you were even there? So, <laughs> It was, it wasn't, I, I picked up the Epic moniker, right? And I think we did trademark that at one point. I don't know if we ever renewed it, but if you remember in 2014, the word Epic was, was super cool. So <laughs> we tagged it with that. It, that was like my concept I had. But to be fair, he had more of like a sidewalk sale vendor thing that happened. And it's very like New York of him, right? As a guy who my life is now almost divided in half, maybe my, yeah. my first 20 years were all the Midwest and then subsequent now East Coast. I'm very aware of these cultural differences, but like there's tons of block parties, you know, just in New York in general. But what, what typically happens is it's food and it's, you know, booths and, and what have you, but it's not, it's not what it, what we wanted to do or, or what I tried to, to change. So 2014 is the first one that, as we know it, and the first one that carried the name, um, Epic block party. And I still remember that guest list, um, Almost like to a T. It's pretty cool to point back if you guys want to do that. It's uh, both Jay and Ronnie Col Coleman, uh, Jay Color, Ronnie mm -hmm. Coleman were both in attendance and each had a brand at that point. Although I believe that Cutler, which was the purple one, was like an arm of BPI. That was, yeah. Right. And, but this was RCSS. Mm -hmm. um, this is a fun little story. I've told it and I think I have his permission to tell it. But just just to show you how things have changed in 10 years, Andy Frisella at the time was worried that people wouldn't know who he was. So instead of putting his face on the flyer, we put Lamborghinis. So so now I, I yeah, like now like everyone my wife has coworkers that will go, Hey, I'm doing 75 hard. And and she'll be like, Oh, cool. Do you know my husband's stores carry those products? 
and they'll be like, what products? It's an ebook, right? So that, <laughs> that's how big he's gotten. But at the time, they were a very small brand. So first one was there. Uh, Metabog Nutrition was one of the, the headline sponsors. Uh, we had both PJ Braun, Aaron Singerman, both were still united at Blackstone, both there. So we really did kind of like, that became like a signature part of the event was um, like the VIPs, right? Uh, I remember uh, PJ's then then wife was WWE Diva Celeste. And I like so many, like I, I never grew up as like a wrestling fan, like a little bit, WCW, NWO, that sort of like Wolfpack era, that thing. But um, not like the way people are now. But I remember going out to the line and going, if you're here to see Celeste, follow me. And like half the line came with me. And I was like, oh boy. Because like they did, there was no connection to supplements with those people. Um, That's so funny. Yeah, but... Uh, just fond memories, man. Uh, but that was really like, and it was, you know, it maybe a couple hundred people. I mean, there was a line, but we also didn't have the megastore. Megastore is 2015. So I had no place to house these people back then. It was that still 800 square foot. So the vast majority of that was outside, which is kind of, like I said, it's th that was the original block party concept. Was You don't go to block party at your friend's house and go inside, right? It's all outside. So how did that grow over the years? Like what, what are like the some like, like the big uh, milestones for you or how, how did that move? I think we just tried to start like outdoing the, the previous year. You know, how do we beat last year? And like not even in hard dollars necessarily, but experience, guest list, number of attendees, uh, both like vendors and like customers. Um, so, you know, in the beginning, it was just a sort of like, who can we get? That was really, the, I'd love to tell you it was more meditated than that, but it was like we had Rich Piano one year, we had Kai Green, um, just, you know, just ratcheting up the intensity. 2015, we moved to the new store that you guys have seen, Ben, you've been to. Uh, Mike, you came out one year, right? The big store? So, so that yep, one yep. can house mm -hmm. far more people. And then, you know, it evolved to us having the backyard. The very first year, I hadn't... Um, so this is, there's this documentary from, you know, Banksy, the street, like graffiti guy. And the name of the documentary is exit through the gift shop. And I don't even really remember why it's called that because isn't he anonymous, but that, that name of the documentary is what gave me the idea, which is they're going to come in through the back and exit through the store. So the first year we did, we didn't do that. There was like a dunk taken back and like hot dogs and stuff like it's like all this stuff <laughs> really that was part of it too is we just kept throwing stuff against the wall and only keeping the stuff that stuck but you know it becomes a logistical problem how is this a, it's a throughput problem how do we get this many people through here because um, originally too it was just a free-for-all there was no prescribed like walking spaces like there are now you know um so yeah i i just really think it's we don't we're competitive and you know against ourselves even we want the event to get better every year for the customers. And we just kept sharpening the sword, really. Um, a lot of the, I'm, I'm glad we did this one because this year, I think there's a lot of firsts that we can talk about. But um, initially it was just word of mouth and, and leveraging the, the, like, we tell vendors all the time, the more that you promote the event, the better it's gonna be for you too. So yeah, it's obviously there's a selfish angle to that. We're the beneficiary of that, but really the customers are because it's kind of like a rising tide lifts all boats thing too. Like if each vendor markets that they'll be there and there's 50 vendors, then you get this huge groundswell of organic push that tells people they should come out and they do, you know? And I, so I don't, I think it's like a virtuous cycle. Like no, really no one's getting taken advantage of in that loop. 
it's for sure an experience in this industry. I mean, you go to the Olympia and the Arnold, it's not the same anymore. You know, you don't have the same vendor experience. You don't get the same samples or, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's not what it used to be, but to me, the natural body block party has never, it's, I, I don't want to say it's never changed. It's never gotten worse. It's always been a step up. It's always delivered on experience for the consumer. Yeah. I, I try to start with them and work backward every time. You know, I think that's a Jeff Bezos thing, but like, I think that's what, that's where those, cause I went to every trade show for a long time. I went to the Olympias with iForce. Um, you know, Steve and I would go to the Arnold because back in the day, the Arnold was where you procured the deals, right? You had to go to get the deals in person because they would only be broadcast at the Arnold. Obviously COVID changed a lot of that, but, um, I think those people lost the plot a little bit because it became too commercialized. Don't get me wrong. That part's great, but it has to be. The, the consumer has to be the beneficiary of that. And if they're not, then the dollars will dry up a little bit, right? And I think we've seen that. And now these places are reinventing themselves a little bit. But that was always my goal was like, would I want to attend this event? What would make me want to attend it more? You know, and I, I really, I think you have to be that way. Yeah. So I've, what's the answer to that question? Is it generally just getting getting the best people, getting the, the rich pianos and stuff? Yeah, that's a lot of it, right? But I think the main thing is like I'm constantly pressing on them on the flyby and when I talk to consumers that, you know, vote with your dollars, vote with your attention, vote with your uh, goodwill, I guess, whatever company has sort of helped you the most over time. And um, I want them to be able to come to an event where they can experience new brands, right? So it's that's the trade show part. Um, I think it's like, uh, that novelty is a fun part. And and then I have a funny story about the bake-off. So don't let me forget, but uh, actually we can take a side quest. I think it's okay. Um, if I said to you guys bake-off, what would that mean to you? Trying different like a bake goods. sale. Like we're bringing so maybe I'm, maybe I'm the crazy one, but have you ever heard it used <laughs> in a business context? No. no. So I'm pretty sure at first I heard it was Brad Stone, the everything store, which is a great documentary about Amazon, but like the, the headline of the article was like, Amazon held a bake-off to see uh, which city, remember when they were they were trying to audition cities for who, like where the, um, like the new HQ was going to be? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess a bake-off is, it can be a thing where like a business can vie to win a contract or a purchase order or whatever, right? So oh. I, I was <laughs> marketing it that way and promoting my event and I had multiple vendors contact me and say like, how does that work? Like, do we have to bring our own ovens? What are we baking? <laughs> so, so I had to walk that back, but uh, that's my favorite part. And I did a short reel about that, but the part I like the most is that, I mean, Ben, half of our lives, Mike too, obviously, are, are is spent helping consumers try to figure out what they want to take. For better or worse, that's, that's half of it, right? Obviously, we want to help the companies and I'm only as good as my, my customers and my vendors. So being a retailer has its own challenges, which we can talk about, but the bake off is the part that I the most look forward to because everyone says they have the best thing. And obviously I think they're starting to warm up. Consumers are starting to warm up to the fact that that's subjective, but if you want to find the best amino for you, you can go through this line. You can taste everyone's best shot. If everyone's wet sampling, something they're putting their what they think is their best selling flavor or their most unique or whatever right something salient on the table you don't you don't put a lackluster sample down and then you can interact with the owners or principals or main athletes or influencers of each company and ask them 
pointed questions about like, why should I take this? What was your thought process when you made this? What problem are you trying to solve? Where do you make it? How do you like name it? Whatever your thing, like that's my favorite part. That's the part that I won't give up. Right. I, there's people that said, Hey, you could take this off site. You can make it a trade show. The East coast needs a trade show. Cause you have, I don't even know where the Olympia is anymore. Miami now, but, um, Arnold was Ohio for a while, but Olympia was always Vegas for a long time. And supply sides, I think East West, but it's not consumer facing. Right. So people were like, Oh, bring this to a, you know, uh, expo or whatever. I, I got to move all the inventory and it's a whole different set of problems. But I think that's going to start diminishing that aspect that I love, which is the bake off, which is there's a contract to be sold that day, which is the contract for the customer's wallet, consumer's wallet. And they get to try everyone's best shot, 50 of them. I had 50 plus vendors this year. They go through that line and they get to, they get to, and like the answer, like that's what I'm trying to always tell them is it's, you're not supposed to generalize from that, that there is an ultimate best. It's what did you like the best? You're never going to find that level of ability to, to taste test everything or whatever your, your yardstick is, maybe not taste, but just litmus test everything, 50 different brands, some of the best sports nutrition and similar has to offer in one day under one roof, you know, almost some of it's outside, but like, I, that's the part I love. And I think people will start to like it too. If you look at, I consider Chris Bumstead, a friend of the brand, you know, you guys had him on, but we had him for two years in a row. Um, and then we didn't have him this year. He just, he's too close to the Olympia. He's in monk mode. Schedule didn't permit it, whatever, you know, I sort of some bundle of all that. Right. But there really wasn't a huge backslide in foot traffic which is not to say that Chris doesn't put butts in seats. He absolutely does. But I'm saying at the time, he's probably the epitome of influencer that you can get. But even if you take him out of the equation, people still show out for the block party. And it's got to be, I, I want to think, some version of this is that uh, you get to do this. And that's that's very seldom the case. And that's what Ben, I think, was talking about, or, or Mike, when you guys talking about how the Arnold sort of decayed away from that. And uh, you know that that part is going down, whereas I'm trying to raise that part. Yeah, I love that. I th <clears throat> I liked that uh, Chris being added to the mix, I think, made you guys uh, revolutionize the way that you move people through the store. Um, you, the second year, you guys ended up having him separately outside, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know how, you know, I think the side quests are fun, but the, the humorous part about that is that, so all the vendors the first year were like, you got to get them out of here. There's people 100 deep they don't want to talk to me. They don't care. They're just here for Chris. I'm like, all right, cool. Mm -hmm. I'll do that. So the next year we had him in his own VIP tent, like completely separate. Right. And every vendor came to me and they're like, you got to bring him back in here. All the people were out there. How could we ever talk to I'm like, guys, like, you can't, you can't have it both ways here. But yeah, I mean, really it was, it, it's a great problem to have, but, but he's such a force of nature that it, he needs his own wing of the event really. And that's what we did. That was last year. So over the last 10 years, um, would you say that he brings in more than anyone compared to Cutler, Coleman, Piana? Is, is Bumstead the strongest force that you've seen at these block parties? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not even a, and, I don't have to uh, think too hard about it. Right. Okay. And is there anyone that is like surprisingly, that, that, that flies on the radar that brings in more people than you'd expect? Are there any like underrated? So the first form boys always bring a crowd. I think people don't. Okay. Like when, when we did have Andy, that was a big one. But the one that was always mm -hmm. um, would always catch me off guard was Derek Wieda from First Form. I was going to bring him up. I mean, that makes me so happy to hear. Unbelievable following. You know, and it's very, I don't want to say under the radar because it by, by definition it can't be. But like you just don't 
figure that, but um, he was right up there with like top five draws that we've ever had. Um, I don't think anyone's surprised, but Seth Ferrosi has a very, very dedicated following. Um, what's I think is cool, a new wrinkle, because I know you guys are sort of, this talk track is like how it's revolutionizing. Uh, you get a brand like Glaxon, let's say, they will bring like a crowd as if they are a person, but they are a brand. So that phenomenon to me is cool, right? It used to be solely people driven. When Kai Green had a brand, they like, I don't want to say they didn't care, but it was sort of the afterthought, right? Um, but now you can have the phenomenon of like people are just Glaxon fans, not necessarily, you know, they're, they don't even have like a, a bodybuilder athlete, right? It's not really their thing, but like they know Bischoff, mm -hmm. they know Joey, but they're not like, oh, Mike didn't come this year. They're not like, oh, I can't go, right? They're just there because they, they enjoy that brand, which I think is cool. And it's like a testament to their branding. I think they did a great job with um, just like it's almost maybe like a two on the nose, but it really does demonstrate it is the whole not unmasking Glaxon, like having yeah. that space suit and never unmasking who it is. Like if you pay attention over the years, you can tell who it is at different eras and years and whatever. But the fact that they've never actually unmasked who is behind it metaphorically people show up for the spacesuit they don't show up for the person inside of it uh, i know I, there's a lot of fans of joey i'm not taking anything away from joey or michael but the brand itself i mean they know they show up uh, last year it was voodoo cola i think this year they had some uh, they had the new mango astrolytes stuff like that. people are excited about that it's it's a fun it's fun to add that, so i think that part's harder right or more impressive that's like a higher bar is can you create a brand in like the marketing sense of the word, not just like the LLC corporation sense of the world, the word that will draw people because of its values or its products or, or, you know, its ethos. But so many brands, I mean, you guys probably see it too. I feel like the ones that come and go is because they will attach uh, an influencer to the brand, but it's not necessarily a great fit. And it's like, maybe they're yoked together, but the two ships aren't quite going in the same coordinates, right? And so then ultimately that breaks apart because I think people can sort of smell if it's not my, my thing, by the way, I would love to get your guys take on this is that it used to be influencer marketing. Now people will reject an influencer out of hand. If that influencer is not either organically sort of folded into the brand or anymore, they, I think they have to be a partner. You have, you know, Ferozzi sort of leaving other brands out of frustration and founding his own. You have raw and revive sort of making Chris an offer. He can't refuse sort of phenomenon, but I see that more too. And I think that's, that's like a cool new frontier yeah. that we're in. Well, I think that some very, very specific cases, like you said, Seth is an, is obviously a, a big one there. Um, but I think like a better case for this, someone who's like really involved in the formulas and the flavors and all these things is Chris, when he came in on our podcast, they, they kind of said it specifically. Chris was not in, interested in being involved with a brand where he was not going to personally sit on the marketing meetings. Like, he came to Dom because of Dom's business experience, because he wanted to learn those ropes. Um, I can't really think of any other people in the industry who I'd want to learn about business from other than Dom, because Dom isn't like a, a, I think we know a lot of serial entrepreneurs and supplements where they own six different companies, but they've never owned something outside of supplements. But clearly like Chris is learning how to, how to create a brand, like you were saying, and not just the LLC, but the actual intangible, like the, the feeling you get when you're part of something. And I think that's a net good, right? Like you, even if he wasn't an equity partner, which, which we know he is, but obviously yeah. like, uh, if he's not involved in those meetings, it's going to feel awkward and forced when he goes to promote it. 
But if he's like, hey, we did this, that, that was, again, not to sort of circle back, but that's the bake-off thing again, right? That's you get to go ask that person questions. And if they, if, like, if, you, if you had a particularly unsatisfactory answer that day, you don't have to buy. That's what I mean by vote with your dollars, you know? So brands always ask me, what can we do to do better at the block party? Like how, you know, what would you recommend? And it's like, hey, you have to connect with the consumers where they are, you know, and whatever, however that, that means to you. But we've seen a lot of brands break out at our block party, at least for us. And then I think our company has become sometimes like the lead domino for specialty a little bit. We have eyeballs on us from the other uh, retailers. And so if they see a brand break out with us, it sort of cascades through that and, and the, the brand ultimately helps get a foothold in the industry. But there's been some unbelievable breakout stories um, at block parties because consumers just felt so swayed by whatever happened at a booth. You know, that's that's sort of the magic of it. I think that part is hard to... That's like the lightning in the bottle part. My first mm-hmm. year coming to your yeah. show was when I was with Nutribio and we brought like 26 people. We tried to do like the first form thing. I remember back in that day, first form would bring like six top CrossFitters and Derek and like, I felt like they had like five cinema cameras walking around the show the whole day. And we, we tried to like give an experience that people wanted to be a part of. I think that's, I think that's like the most important thing, at least that I see when you go to these shows. I mean, not every team has like a lot of people to throw at it, but if they feel like they're part of a brand, they're part of something that they, when they take this product, it's not just because most of them are similar formulas. You you end up with, with being a part of something that you feel like you're getting to contribute and you, you post it and you hashtag it and you're a part of something larger than yourself or maybe larger than pre-workout originally would have been. Yeah. To, to answer your question earlier, I think um, the, the, the fans, for, so first off, the internet is forever. We've always had that since the beginning of the internet, kind of pretty much, but with social media, um, so many of the influencers out there are putting out so much content and like people just suck it all in and they remember everything and it's, you know, backed up archived and forever. So, um, the authenticity eventually over the course of time comes out just from the sheer volume, you're going to start hearing the truth. So I have seen times where like there's, um, recently a brand picked up an athlete and a lot of this person's followers went back in the archives and found this athlete trashing that brand. And now they're showing, you know, this athlete, obviously, this influencer is really just about the money and lost a lot of credibility as opposed to someone. uh, And this can also happen if like someone is always just about natural, natural, natural. And then they go to a brand that does nothing but sucralose, for instance. They'll get called out on that. And that might seem like kind of small, but in our world, it's not a small thing. So over the course of time, I think just because we have like rabid followers and everything, they're going to start. They're going to start smelling the BS and everything. And so it, it, it naturally, the most successful partnerships are going to gravitate towards um, towards like the authentic partnerships that work best together. Because like the brands and the people themselves shouldn't want to deal with the BS, even if there is a little bit of money uh, attached to it. Like the rabid mega fans are, are going to call it out. So it's best just to steer clear of that. Um, and so I, I think in, in general, yeah, you're going to start seeing the ships hopefully travel together in the best run brands. And I think you guys remember there was a specific epic like EPOCH, because not epic block party, but time five years ago where this was not the case at all. So I think we are moving in the right direction because like you said, the internet never forgets sort of thing. But I do think there should be a forcing function to make people be credible and intellectually honest or have integrity throughout the arc of their career. There's a, there's a way to traverse the waters of trading one sponsorship for another in the same way, like your favorite football player can be traded from a team without 
I don't want to say burning bridges, but without this backwards facing like incongruity, right? Like you were saying, where they had to uphold or uh, upheave their entire belief system to go from one brand to another. I, it's so funny. We've been on kind of all different sides of this recently. Like a um, couple different uh, examples. Mike was just talking about Rise signing Marco Spaciano, who uh, previously was on a podcast where he like specifically said like the owner of Rise is a piece of shit. And like clearly they've all walked it back and they're all fine and everything now. But like just earlier this year, we saw Chris Gethin leave Caged, where it's like a, a completely opposite situation where they had for better or for worse, like really built the brand around someone's name. I mean, the, the naming complex using like a, a different letter for a sound like that, that matches this guy's name. But I, I mean, we're all involved in businesses here. We all understand like people walk away and that's okay. And, 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 and so we end up kind of rationalizing for both sides. Like for, for me, like when it's from a business perspective, it's, it's okay when someone wants to move on and go somewhere else. Like athletes need to pay their bills. Athletes need all sorts of things. And there's reasons why they might go somewhere else. But I, I the one thing I like about the internet is because everything is around forever. I think that people are held on, accountable and held to be honest. I, and I think that's an important thing. Um, I don't know how much time you spent on the internet, Tim, but like this, this guy who, who uncovered this whole rise thing, goob, like, Literally, his entire claim to fame is calling out people for not being truthful or not being, you know, good people. I think it's a great aspect of the internet where people are held accountable for their actions in this industry because I think we've Mike, Mike calls this industry incestuous, and it's it's true at times for better or for worse. Sometimes you know we have a lot of touch points over, it, but a lot of times it's it's for not not the great ideas. So at this point, I mean, you guys kind of just carry. You guys touch all of these kinds of brands. Do you ever see these controversies come into your store? Do you, do consumers ever voice this? Yeah. It, it, so my analogy here is that we're the hotel. Uh, this isn't a perfect analogy, but it sort of fits is that if you come into my hotel and, and, and sort of the read between the lines here is that we're a hospitality company and you say, Hey, and of course this is the part you have to sort of give me a little bit of leeway because this doesn't actually happen in hotels, but if it did, you would say, Hey, I, I prefer a soft mattress. And I would go, Oh, you're out of your mind. Don't you know, hard mattresses are better for your back. Or I could say, sure. That's actually in this wing. I'd love to have you for the night. At the end of the day, it's not my job to impress my beliefs on you. But if I'm truly a hotelier or a hospitality person, I just, I don't, I'm sort of an agnostic. I just want you to have a great stay. Right. So we have that mentality. And, and so we, we've kind of been almost sent up by maybe our peers for this in the past. Like, why would you carry that brand? That's dumb. Or you don't make any money on that brand or whatever. And the, the answer is because that sort of grade of mattress, we have a lot of people coming to the hotel of our lobby saying, do you have this that, you know, right. So it's like, it's like everyone thinks there's like a secret and you're like, well, we listen to the consumers. That's the, you know, that's the grand reveal. But yeah, like the, the controversy, it doesn't pay for, for me as the as retailer, I can't go before you hand me your money, Mr. Consumer. Did you know that that person was on a contentious podcast? Like, you know, like, like they're like, what? Like, dude, I'm going to the gym, you know? So like for the most, it's funny because we, we often care about that stuff way more than they do. You know, they're just like their friend said, get bucked up. And they're like, cool. Like yeah, the one with the deer. And you're like, yeah. Like, you know, it's right over here. You know, I, I play the game with my employees all the time. If it's like, if it's your cousin or your best friend and they're coming in and they're like, do you have pre-workout? And you're like, yeah. And they're like, I want this one. You're like, great. What you don't typically do 
you might say, why are you taking it? Do you like it? Have you taken it before? But you don't go, you know what? I have a better one. I think to get that customer better results. And, you know, you could say there's a, there's a, a, a business angle here, but it's really the, the, it's sort of like the, the profit is an organic byproduct of doing the right thing for the customer. Like what else are you taking? Maybe I can, I can find something else we have for your goals and let you buy the pre-workout that you walked into my store with the intent of giving me money. Like that part always seemed a bit preachy to me. And also, like I said, just not a profitable activity. Uh, so there's other consumers that feel very strongly to the point where they'll tell us, I can't believe you carry this brand or whatever. And it's like, I hear you totally understand. But like the next guy walking in doesn't care about any of that stuff. So the, it's sort you know what I mean? Like we right. have so many more degrees of freedom as a retailer because I don't have a house brand. So I'm sort of, like I said, I, I am agnostic and it, it's, that's the only part about being a retailer that, uh, not the only part I enjoy, but the part that maybe is an advantage everywhere else. Now we're really just a, a middleman, right? I, you guys are all business savvy enough. I don't, I don't run away from it. We don't, we don't control the means of production. We don't, we don't, we're not the consumer, you know, we're just, we're just somewhere in the supply chain, but that actually to me is like a call to arms to make sure I add value. Otherwise I can get pushed to the margin, pushed to the sideline and brands are go D to C or whatever. So, um, it, it, it does the, the specter of controversy comes into play, but I, I don't ever try to dissuade people or really take sides. Uh, I have given opinions as Tim before I've weighed in on industry issues, but not when I have my hotelier hat on, you know, because I just don't like, I'll mess Steve and I have this running joke. Now, um, he'll post stuff on Instagram stories and I'm always like egging him on to like, Steve's got an awesome, fun personality and he's got a great rapport. He's exactly 10 years older than me too. So, and he's from, you know, Queens and now he lives in long Island. So tons of vested relationships and everything. So he'll post like things on his Instagram and then like outside of like his kids or sports, whatever, like I'll, I just, I text him always like profitable activity, not profitable activity. Like, in other words, like, are you talking, you know, cause I'm always telling him to use his, his, his social media for, for good or for, to promote us or whatever. So I kind of view it like that though. It's almost like a binary, like me having a really strong opinion about the latest controversy at rise or whatever brand is not necessarily a profitable activity for me, especially when I carry rise, you know? So that sounds like such a mic moment profitable yeah versus well it's like our latest joke oh, he's gonna on. love that it's on here <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh, what is the right balance for steve are you talking about on his personal instagram or on the business's instagram well it's, it's kind of hard to pry him apart because his handle is at natural body you know <laughs> well, so like right but uh so go ahead i was gonna ask what, what's the what's the best ratio of non-profitable to, to profitable like you because obviously you can't be like buy this, buy this, buy this, like 5,000 times in a row. So, well, I, so it's kind of funny. Two people that I respect and I think are very smart, both arrived at this at the same, uh, arrived at the same answer from disparate means. So Gary Vaynerchuk had the, the eponymous jab, 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 right hook. So if you actually unpack that jab, 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 three to one right hook. So about 75%, um, give, and then 25% ask. And then Alex Ramosi recently mentioned this exact ratio, which, um, he says it even it even manifests in um, cable TV, right? So still on our broadcasting, there'll be about 47 minutes of content and 13 minutes of ads in an hour long show. So everyone is landing. I think the Facebook newsfeed has arrived at this algorithm. That's more or less the amount of advertisement that consumers will tolerate, right? But um, I, I just mean, really the Steve thing is more of an inside joke, but it'll be like if he just 
unleashes his latest opinion on the New York immigration crisis. I'll just be like, not profitable activity because like, <laughs> you know, it's just me, it's me busting his balls a little bit. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think that ratio is about right. And I think you see that, like, if you want to make this relevant, the jab, 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 right thing, that's like the flyby really. It's like, I occasionally will ask them, Hey guys, we have a sale. Hey guys, you know, whatever, this is overstock. Hey guys brought this new brand in mostly because you asked for it, let it rip. And I can't, I'm never going to out brand the brand right? Like Rise is going to, should be able to market Rise better than I can, but I can give unique perspective about it and I can help it position it between the other brands in the industry in a way that maybe they don't want to tread on or, or don't want to address. And so that goes back to my point about how I don't, I try to take the idea that I'm a, just a middleman as a retailer very seriously. And I only deserve that position if I can add value. But yeah, the, the, the flyby really is essentially a bunch of jabs. It's me I always say we make only charitable assumptions on the flyby. So that includes consumer preferences and why brands do things and whatever. Unless I have a smoking gun that I really know is something bad, I'm going to take a charitable lens of interpretation. I think that they may have not put this ingredient because they don't, it was a cost consideration. They feel that you can get it elsewhere. They're not able to solve that problem as best as somebody else. So they didn't want to, you know, go into a, a category that's not competitive for them. Who knows? But I'm not gonna be like, yeah, they suck because they don't use beta alanine, you know, like, like, but what ends up happening is I can take these positions that the brands themselves can't take. You'll see brands contort themselves mm-hmm. trying to avoid stuff like this, or, you know, this is the the origin story of the no best thing. It's just every brand has to say their best. They're the best. Totally get it. Like I wouldn't start a brand and be like, dude, we're, we're pretty good. Like we're mediocre. You know, but but at the same time, the brands I admire and respect the most, the owners of those brands will be like, hey, I see what the guys over there are doing. That's really cool. Good for them. I thought that was really interesting. Wish we would have thought of that. Or we actually passed on that one. I know this can be a contentious one. You know, we wanted that. But but like, if there's a good reason they passed on it, I think that's the interesting stuff, you know, and that's the stuff consumers love too. And maybe there isn't a flavor or a licensed ingredient or a licensed, uh, flavor that was like not a great fit for one company and a great fit for another one and it's like this one i know the the one that was the hot button was the the farm fed um elf right oh and and like i totally respected what seth did with i was like like i it's his favorite movie the guy dressed up as the elf you know what i mean like like to me that would that would be an organic reason why you'd want to license that ip is that that's your favorite christmas movie you watch it with your kids like you know what I mean? And, it, and I, I don't even remember who the other person that ostensibly passed on it was, but like it probably wasn't a good fit for them for this reason. And like, I think that's okay. Like not everyone has to agree on that. And consumers can be like, I don't want, you know, Will Ferrell on my protein. Other guys would be like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah, is this a, is this an, a profanity respecting podcast? Sorry. I don't care. Can, can, no, but uh, we don't care. Let me just put, uh, just because we have all the information and we're on the topic, I'm going to put it out there just so, to, <laughs> just to give the other side, because we are a third party too. Uh, the 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 point of contention here was that Axe and Sledge jumped on the collab even though they weren't allowed to use Will Ferrell's likeness. likeness in it. Yeah, and this is like a I mean, and I understand why. Like, if you pay whoever owns that license, like you don't get Will Ferrell because that like is obviously like probably more valuable than the Elf collab itself. Um, the people who said they turned it down, and obviously this is always like word of mouth. They said it, you can't prove it, but. Ghost said they turned it down years before because if you can't use Will Ferrell's likeness, it's kind of useless uh, in a lot of ways because it's just an elf. And and I think you get some lines and you get like the whole gumdrop uh, type thing. Um, 
I, 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 I reviewed it anyway because I thought it was kind of good flavors anyway. It was a Christmas flavor. But a lot of people would say, and this is not me saying it. I, I, I don't want to put myself out there. But a lot of people would say, like, of course Seth says it's his favorite flavor uh, movie because he's getting to use it, right? He's going to, of course, claim that. Just like, you know, Nick says that uh, Skippy's his favorite peanut butter because he got that license and but stuff. But, Ben, we, we make charitable assumptions on the flyby. So... Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, but I fully believe that that's his favorite movie. Yeah. It's perfect for him, isn't it? Is it? Like, I, so I, to, me, it to me, it's authentic. It's Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know Seth Rosie personally, but that movie kind of matches. I mean, the, the degree to which he leaned into the skits and everything seems to, to give that some credibility. Mm-hmm. And like, I think both those positions can be correct. That was sort of the point, right? I, I if that, if it was sure. Ghost, that, that, that rings a bell. It, those are both wicked smart operators. Like, they're not, yeah. you know, I, I'm not sure I have much to add to that discussion other than the fact that like what what didn't work for them from their brand worked for them. And, you know, good for, good for all the parties because they were airing their differences, but like unbelievable contributions from them, you know? It, so yeah, that's sort of the, like, do you see how this sort of default posture, Ben, you probably even contend with this more than me, but the default posture is like bellicose conflict all the time between brands and like, yeah, guy can order four different brands on the flyby and like it doesn't have to be we don't have to convene the United Nations to like sort that out. You know, they can just enjoy their <laughs> like, like I always said that, this that, good. That's where I live. Yeah. Like I like that's my thing. Like the charitable uh, assumptions that I made was uh, when they did icy. I was like, oh, it's a blue collar company. Of course, they're going to get icy. You get that at the mall. You get that at the zoo. Like you get that at like, you know, middle class, like a- a- entertainment and stuff like that. And, I totally am with you. Like I still got the protein flavors and tried them because protein flavors were great. You know, I, 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 I tend to try to put like information out there that I have and try not to like put some sort of morality on that. Just to, just to put the truth out there, just because I like to speak on this stuff. I like to make content and of course it gets engagement when you do it. Wait, well, yeah, I, I, just, I just thought of this, but like really you're in the same boat, both of you as I am where you don't own the company, you don't own the consumers. So the only value add you have is, can I explain this product? Can I give my experience with it? Can I tell you the tasting notes? I'm like, but you are by definition more credible than the people that work for the company because of course they're biased. It's a good bias, right? You're not going to not sure. be like, yeah, like I said before, like you you don't roll out an icy blue eyes and go, hey, guys, it kind of sucks. You know, like, I don't know what we're doing here. Like, of course you, you enjoy it. But now Ben goes, yeah, I've had 17 other blue razzes and this one's slightly sweeter. And I do taste the authenticity. Like, whatever I'm making that up, but like you have to, you have to sweeten the pot somehow. Otherwise you are just like, like price plow's business model is not, Hey, we skim their Instagrams and repost their coolest stuff. Like, no. Right. So yeah. Like, yeah. And that's kind of to my point is like of, and I'm really, I I know someone's going to watch this podcast and think that I'm, I'm trashing them for this, but I'm I'm really not. But of course, Seth Rose, is going to say it's his favorite movie because he got the license. And, and, I'm not putting anyone down by saying that, but I'm absolutely in the same mindset as you when I say that. Like, of of what he he got he got the license for this huge movie. I loved Elf. It's a great movie. Will Ferrell's hilarious. But of course, I'm just going to point out like these these are the things. Um, I, I do want to backtrack slightly, but I actually have an example of you making these charitable assumptions or or maybe an explanation of why things might be different. Um, when I was working at Nutri, I was of this mindset that all pre-workouts had to be like huge extravagant formulas and anything else was trash. And I remember not understanding why natural body um, 
partnered so hardcore with first form because at the time i don't feel this way anymore if anyone watches this as a first form fan please don't hate me for this but at the time i thought that their pre-workouts were underdosed and not really helpful and i remember you explaining to me this wild concept that not everyone needs tons of ingredients and tons of like high doses of these of these ingredients and it went completely over my head back then i, I obviously i i make that point now but you guys have kind of like a gradient of pre-workouts. And that was the first time I had ever heard this at the time. I thought you were just shilling for first form, but nowadays I understand. And I think you've done a really good job of sharing that information to people and making that, I don't know if that's a charitable assumption because it is true, but you've, you've helped a lot of people understand that not everything needs to be the same all the time. And different companies can have different perspectives, just like we're talking here. Yeah. I was going to make this point earlier, but in, I forget how we're even there, but this is like, the perfect time to make the point. So Hemingway said about writing, he said, first you have to know the rules and then you can break them, right? And I think why that's relevant is that at the time, and me too, right? I, I was still on the path. I'm not the same person. This probably five, six years ago, if I remember correctly, your timeline. But you're yeah. st- a lot of people are still learning the rules to writing, meaning they're going to go on the internet and they're going to spout an opinion that although beta alanine is a good ingredient, it maybe doesn't need to be in a pre-workout. And also, did you know that the clinically studied amount is, I'm like, yeah, dude, we know, like we got it, but like, but they're going through it. That's where they're at. They're learning that rule of writing. And then they're going to, their next topic will be like prop lens are evil and like totally on board, you know, like you don't have to sell me, but, and then they get frustrated because they see people not following the rules of writing, right? In, in this case, what they've learned to be the rules of how to find a good pre-workout. And I think that move when you try to impress your beliefs on the next person is where it goes wrong, but like they're just at that point. And then like a lot of brands will either willfully ignore the quote unquote rules, or of course they know that if you're going to use beta alanine, it needs to be at this dose or whatever. And that they'll either choose to not use it or they'll use a different dose. And like, that's okay. You know, I, it took me a while to get there too, but I don't know if you, it's a little dated. It's about two years old, but it'll work. Have you ever heard my like four quadrants theory? Yeah. So, but I don't think Mike has. Okay. So I said that the four brands, again, maybe two years ago, I think the deck has been reshuffled a little bit, but the four brands that were sort of shaping the forefront of the industry at the time were Ghost was the most innovative because for better or worse, even if you can point to historical examples of other people using licensing before, Dan has perfected it. So they were revolutionizing the industry by being the most creative. Um, Nutribio was being the most transparent from my purview or point of view. Um, There may be other brands that have the same degree of rigor in manufacturing and they own their own manufacturing and they have the third-party lab testing. But And I've I've gotten that feedback from brands. We do all that stuff too. Cool. Talk about it more, right? Nutribio talks about it a lot. That's their whole shtick. So they're the most transparent. Uh, First Form was the most helpful. I think they have to date. It's over... It's it's almost uh, uh, five uh, figure, over ten thousand. I think it's maybe not ten thousand, but over over a thousand people um, have lost a hundred pounds or more. It's got to be ten by now. They're going to yell at me for this, but um, like, which is insane though. If you think about like like, I feel like that that has to be a step factor off the next closest competitor of documented people that have lost over a hundred pounds or more. Okay, with their products, right, and then. The fourth one, the other leg of the table was Redcon was had the best deals at the time. You know, that's a t- that's a that's a tough crown to hold, but 
that is a thing consumers care about. They want crazy deals and they were doing it. Again, that part, maybe that's the one that's changed the most in the intervening time. But those four companies, if you look at the consumer that lands in each of those four buckets, they're completely different. And like, like you, Ben, I at points in my life would have been like a very this type of consumer, right? But that changes. And then you meet those other people and you're like, oh, like they're not bad people. They're just, they just have different like priorities than me or different value structure. Or like a lot of people buy pre-workouts, Mike, to go back to your, one of your original points in the podcast about like when people walk into the store, like, why do you take, you know, C4 powder? Uh, it tastes awesome. Great. Like it really does. You know, they've, they've, they've perfected that for better or worse. And, and so if that is their North star is taste, then that's a tough bar for me to say, oh, I have something better, you know, I mean, granted taste is subjective, but that's a company that was sold and acquired and, and they've optimized for this for a long time. You know, when they were, they were the quintessential CPG FDM company for, and, and of course, again, other companies have gained ground now, but when I was at GNC, that's exactly how, what they were, they tasted better, better price point, you know, whatever. I love that. I, I think we did that answer the question point. though the, the first form thing like absolutely like, absolutely yeah. i well i'll to speak on first form first off we get it now like i love sharing their community stuff kind of like kind of off you talked about the amount of people who've lost over 100 pounds i look at them as just like a monster of a community like just their just their outdoors brand instagram itself makes me want to become like some sort of outdoorsman like you watch their content you're like I want to do whatever they're doing. I want to go to their summer smash. I don't like CrossFit. I'm not into CrossFit. When I watch their content, I want to go do CrossFit with them. I want to be in the gym with them. Like I want to be part of that. Um, but in, in terms of like, you just talk about Cellucore reminds me of, uh, we've gotten into consulting in terms of like working with larger brands. And I've had to reframe what I consider to be good for pre-workout. And I had to sit down and realize that like for 99% of users, like including people who buy their pre-workout at Walmart, not our uh, echo chamber of users that, you know, I think we could all probably name by name at this point, like just normal people who buy a pre-workout. The goal is to feel good and have a better workout. And how do you achieve that? That could be a lot of different things. It could be pump, energy, focus, uh, having a heart attack for some people. But overall, like they have to walk out of the gym saying, I spent $30 last week and this powder made me have a better experience. And a lot of that, I hate saying this, but a lot of that has nothing to do with efficacious doses. A lot of that has to do with a blend of ingredients that just has an acute feeling that just makes you feel, again, this probably could be four quadrants of what makes a pre-workout good here. But it, I don't, in a lot of cases, I don't mind proprietary blends. I don't mind lower dose ingredients. I don't mind a lot of the, the, the negatives that we've just talked about. I don't mind them if the consumer has a, has a good experience on it and if it improves and it makes them get fitter or it gives them a reason to continue training. Um, when I worked at GNC, I used to joke that people would spend like $180 on Cellucor P6 Extreme and it was not, in my opinion, a great testosterone booster. But because people spent $180, they would now do a better job of dieting because they had invested. And for all of those reasons, I consider those to be good experiences for those consumers because they then have a better experience. They bend, but that they then lose more weight or bench more, whatever it is they're looking to do. And it's had to, it, it's made me have to reframe my, my thoughts on what is good anymore. Yeah. Also, I think we forget that our frame of reference is so vast. You know, we have time in the industry and we've, we've tried everybody's pre-workout and their frame of reference is like, 
it could be like A or B. Like they've had, you know, Nitroflex or Bucked Up or whatever. Like I'm picking two very big box, very sure. mainstream. And so like that's their reference point. So they think one's amazing, you know, and that's all right. Like that's the part that I can take solace in the whole retailer thing is like, cool, someone walked in to give me money for what we consider a suboptimal pre-workout. Like how mad can I really be? You know, like, do you find, this is slightly tangential, but same kind of topic, just in a different category. Do you find that with the creation of uh, energy cans that have extra ingredients like neurofactor, tyrosine, choline's, do you find that consumers feel a tangible difference or they know that that is going on? Or do you think they just purchase most of these for the branding? I think the amount of people that buy ghost that care about neurofactor is vanishingly small, you know? And, and I wish that wasn't the case because I think they do deserve some credit for not just having, you know, caffeinated water. Like we yeah. used to say they're fun diet sodas. People used to ask me about bang, you know, it's fun diet soda, like enjoy it. But, um, I don't know, like our consumers care about that. Like when you were saying that before with echo chamber, it's so, I think about that more than I should. Like, I don't want audience capture. I don't want to, to assume that the flyby viewer is the same as the people that pay the paychecks of my staff, which is over 20 people working at, you know, we can't lose sight of that. So, but I am like those people. So I appreciate all their quirks and their, like we're making decisions at such a different level. So that's why the whole no best thing doesn't frustrate me because like they don't have that frame of reference. So they're just like, like when you go to change your oil, you're like, oh, I don't know. Like, what do you like? Give me the best one, right? That doesn't make you, I probably do that, you know? So if you just change the reference point, then you can totally see how they end up there. But we forget that we're the experts in our field, so to speak, right? to the extent that we can claim that. That's what I, I do love, like what Dan says about formulating uh, for the 1%, but uh, I already screwed it up. But yeah, like marketing towards the 99% and everything. But he, on this very podcast, he talked about um, having to fight Anheuser-Busch for ingredients like uh, estrogen, possibly. And if like, um, I'm not sure if that's an ingredient you could feel. I think I think Neurofactor slash Cognatic or whatever it's called now, they, they have a Neurofactor on their can. I think that could be felt. But if I'm like Anheuser-Busch and I'm like looking at pennies. I'm just thinking, oh, man, I don't know if we need this ingredient or not, you know. So, um, yeah, so kudos to Dan for for fighting for some of that stuff, um, even though a lot of that probably could be on the chopping block and no one would notice a single difference if if that wasn't there. So um, I, I think it's cool, though, because it, ultimately it has worked. It's made a energy drink product that's definitely taken the market by storm. So you can't can't argue with the success of that. But, um, that's pretty cool. That yeah, that's, that's like all. a good called shot because I'd never heard that story. But that's exactly how it cashes out mm. in the real world. Is very very few people. Uh, and by the way, I was corrected by a rep from them. So apparently, it's cognitique. Yep, <laughs> it is. That's how Ben said it. I, I was saying was on wrong. the flyby. And I got I, to be fair. I got a very polite awful. DM. But yeah, cognitique. Um, but yeah, I, trip, I I stumble over that all the time. That's why I think it's funny. But yeah, like that's exactly the. I don't think I'm consumer behavior. Dan, <laughs> Dan, you know, we know Dan's a great consumer psychology marketing guy, but that's, that's a perfect call because the vast majority of people are like, dude, Sour Patch Kids. And then like the 1% is like cognitive, right? Like you said, I think they can still say neurofactor, but either way they're, they both walk away happy, right? That's kind of the cool part. It's a great fly trap that he's built. It's funny. So one of my favorite things about 
currently being in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is like the people are so untouched by sports supplements as opposed to like going in a weightlifting gym. Um, and I had one of my teachers last week was he, they just found out about ghost energy. Like it, it's, it's like virgin. It's so fun because <laughs> these people have no clue. Like I bring in powders and they're like, what is this? And we were talking, I was kind of just mentioning that there's extra ingredients in ghost energy. And someone was like, is that why I feel so much more focused than if I just drink bang? And I was like, you don't actually feel any difference. Do you like m most normal people? I don't expect them to have like the body awareness to notice that there's like a tangible difference. And they're like, no, I drank a bang one week. And then last week I was on a drive and I drank a ghost energy and I had incredible focus rather than just heart palpitations. And I was like, I, I believe that I, I, I totally believe it. Like it depends on what they're eating. But if you, if you give a ghost energy to someone who's carnitine deficient, they're going to feel amazing mm. to me, less caffeine, they'll feel better. So to me, it, it ghost hits a few good things with that. And a, a whole gram of carnitine, two grams generally, you know, is the, clinical dose that we see in studies, but a, a whole gram could literally make the difference in someone's day. So I believe it personally. I have to give him some other. Maybe it's that cognatic too. <laughs> I got it. Cognitive. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to give Dan some other credit too, though. I know people, uh, you know, call us out for that too often, but um, we did that price file authority report with Tim last time. And Dan gave me a lot of really great feedback on that podcast because it was three hours of us talking about gmps and cfrs and just stuff that we love talking about but i remember he said to me like and it's it's great because we we as a community love talking about this stuff getting super in depth and everything but you know there's a there's a finite amount of people who understand and further want to listen to that but he said let me ask you a question who's doing the podcast for the millions of people that just want a pre-workout that works like how do you speak to those people and that's actually why we only did two episodes of that podcast because it made so much sense to me that, that that changed the way that i did my my content it changed the way that i did stories for us like to your point tim like i'm i could name 15 names right now that you would remember from your dms from the last month of you know they probably ask you the same questions that they ask us or you could make content that those people will appreciate and everyone else that's interested in this stuff. Because there's there's a huge amount of people who buy Gorilla Mind or C4 or you know, name your your huge things. And they probably don't know that they want to learn more, but the second you pique their interest with a little bit of information about why those patterns do the things that they're interested in, you have a you have a viewer for life. And those people, in my opinion, are are, are like they need that help. I, a lot of our community, they, they'll already read the studies. They'll already learn all that stuff. But I, I, I've changed our content a lot more for those, those normal people. Yeah. I try to answer, like, I think maybe the, the good punch that I have on the flyby is high level concept, drill down, deep dive into like one ingredient and then back out with the high level takeaway. So I try to throw like a fastball and a change up in the sense that Maybe not everyone can hit the fastball because they don't have the the knowledge, but the changeup is there, slows the game down. They go, oh yeah, okay. So that's where it connects with the real world. Like you said, Ben, where it's like, oh, that's why I feel focused. Cool. I got to remember the name of that thing. Maybe I'll look for that next time I go in the supplement store. And like all of a sudden now we have a more informed consumer and then the people that can hit the fastball can, can keep up with that too. Like I've had people tell me at my gym, that's funny, you know, mine's a CrossFit gym, but same, like they're completely virgin-esque when it comes to like anything. It's like, untrodden snow right they haven't taken anything they haven't and they're like tim i, I don't understand half of the flyby and like 
I used to be like, huh, cool. You know, and then I was like, that's dumb. Like I have to do a better job. So it, it evolved over time where I will take my sort of curse of knowledge glasses off and put the, the dilettante glasses on and try to answer it from that perspective too, especially when you get the sense from the question that maybe they're not, they're not as far down the path. Like they're still learning the rules of writing, like we said, and that's like, that's okay. You know, and the people that skip past that, because it's not like a master class on Agmatine, like that's all right, because it's not, there's so few of those, you know? Yeah. One of the things that's forced me to do this is just the time constraints on social media. Like bringing reels down to a minute, and now I, as opposed to IGTV, I used to post like forty-five minute long breakdowns of products, and thank God people watch that honestly. But these days with reels, like I have to say, like these are my three things that I love about this pre-workout, and sometimes I don't talk about some of the ingredients in the formula, and you know that's just that's that's just how it is. Like I want to give things that people can digest and and keep and maybe recognize in the next formula that they look at, because. Um, I don't know if you feel like this, but I feel like the the rate of launching of products has increased so much that there's more touch points now. There's more reasons why people would, would continue to get further into it. Whereas a couple of years ago, there was a lot of time between launches. It's, I mean, people, it's one thing if we want to circle back to the, the block party even briefly is that we're now considered like a, almost like a holiday where people would want to launch things for it, which is cool. Yeah. You know, and I try not to, to wear that like cloak of responsibility lightly or whatever, because that's like, that's like a super huge concession from that brand. So we, but, um, just wait, wait say your thing again. What were, I had it and I lost it. Just like frequency. Oh launches. yeah. It's, it's hard to keep up with a hundred percent. Like, like, um, that's a huge challenge point for a retailer is that like half of my DMS. And this is one particular thing you don't have to deal with is will you carry, will you carry, will you carry? And like, yeah, like I got it. Like if I, unless I can't carry it. Right. And like, to be fair, I've, if you look at it, it's been, it's been fun to watch because maybe ghost is like, what, uh, what's that terrible movie? It's like hot tub time machine where it's like great white, great white Buffalo. Like the one that you can't get like yeah. the girl that got away or whatever. Ghost is like our great white Buffalo. Cause you can't carry ghost powders. But other than that, like I remember people clamoring for morphogen. I remember people clamoring for like a pro these brands that we ultimately onboarded and a lot of it is the consumer feedback, you know, which helps us. But like this question, will you carry, will you carry is usually like, this has just came out, but we haven't put on our site yet because they haven't put on our site that they just teased on social media, but the consumers are already clawing at the keyboards trying to get it. And that's awesome. But it, it can be, it can be a challenge for a retailer for sure. I, that's I interesting. view it as like, I'm a juggler and I have to keep 30 balls in the air at any given time. And then each one of those balls is like launching off micro juggle balls. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I sometimes wonder if we're giving consumers too much because you, ha- you have some brands who are launching. I think Alpha Line's done a great job of pre-workout of the month because that 30 day cadence makes a lot of sense. You can get recurring customers almost like on a subscribe. Um, but now you have consumers who are like, I don't know if I can buy this launch because I just bought the last flavor last week. And it's, it's almost seems like com- compounding at a certain point. Yeah. Shout out to core with the fun suites launch two days after the block party. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, you know, so, okay. So I want to get back to the 2023 block party and some of the, um, some of the highlights, but ideally how would, how would, if you were Doug Miller, how, how would you have done that? Would you have wanted I mean, I, to launch it at the point? I put myself on his calendar. So I'm just teasing Doug. But like 
we yeah. that's a that's me pining for that thing and i i noticed in their mm-hmm. fury v2 which is one of my favorite pre-workouts that that mm-hmm. flavor and even that sort of type of flavor if you can get like second order or meta with it didn't really exist a lot of their flavors were sweeter and candy inspired they have like a sour watermelon but they didn't have anything grape in that lineup i think later they came out with watermelon grape or maybe that's a pump but it just seemed like a hole in their lineup and i was trying to find someone that would make me uh, a cran apple which is like whenever the weather turns i always get like uh, cranberry apple juice i really enjoy that flavor um so cran apple grape that's and then we decided to call it the big cran grapple like big apple mm-hmm. and uh that was one of the four uh five i think unique launches we had at the block party but um we moved like we brought him the date and i'm sure that fun sweets collab had been in the works for some time so i'm just teasing but it, it was pretty funny that like uh that that and they tried to give it a lot of oxygen beforehand to be fair and ultimately to give them credit like core is a great partner for us and to give an example of that because i know retailers watch this too i ordered the fun suites and i was like it came out that that monday right and the block party was saturday so 48 hours before the formal launch and i was like can i just put them on the table and put them on my my wall but you not the website till we'll, we'll launch in parallel and they were like do you really want to do that and i was like yeah why and they're like we don't want to diminish cran grapple we want to give it its day in the sun and i was like just do it people are asking me if they can come try it it again back to the consumer as the north star like the bezos thing start with the consumer and work backwards like if i'm going through the line and i'm trying to make the best decision for me as a fury potential consumer i can try two of these licensed flavors with the fun sweets it's like cherry berry and blue raz and then i can try big cran grapple and to be fair they're wildly different like my wife prefers the the fun sweets ones because she has like that sweet preference like she loves cotton candy i think cran grapple i could drink that like not going to the gym right so but but I want the consumers to to do that. That's exactly what I'm going for. Because if she had not known me and gone through the line, she would have immediately landed on the fun suites for her choice. But other people may have been more in my camp. Absolutely. Do you? Let me ask you a question. So it's funny. I have uh, I have a really unique uh, perspective on the industry. Sometimes I have this little group of some of like our super consumers, and I poll them on things and something. And uh, it, it was mentioned that so you guys had the. Um, special astrolite flavor it was like i, I forget what they called it it's like king king, king mango yeah because king kong king, climbs empire state building or whatever cool so king mango is there but you know a few months later it comes out in just a, a martian mango for glaxon this happens kind of often right it's like a special limited edition for natural body and then later on it becomes an evergreen flavor does that bother you at all when your special flavors become evergreen at all i think it's kind of like a, a proof of concept in a way right if the natural body flavor flops, then they've decided internally that it's not good enough for them or it doesn't pass the muster or however you want to think of it. But uh, I think it's almost like the opposite. Like we're like the clearing house at the block party. They get a ton of real world feedback as well because they get their betas and they get their advanced users in the, in the mail and everything. But those people probably are like warm leads, however you want to conceptualize it. Like they like Glaxon already. Mm-hmm. So it might be hard for them to give pointed feedback. And then when you start getting those consumer mailbox samples, like most of those people don't go through several iterations of it, right? That's only like Joey and them at the table. So yeah, I, I don't mind it. I like, we don't, they don't really load me up on inventory and then like yank the rug out from underneath me. It's very much a, a collaborative process, which is nice. And um, I can't really think of one, like it, it usually doesn't happen that it's just a one and done because it's, like I said, it's almost like a tacit admission of, 
maybe it not being great. So we kind of want that. We want the flavor to stick because it's like I said, it's a it's a proof of concept that it was a good flavor. Um, we do have people that'll do like seasonals, right? And the more time you can give me as the exclusive place, obviously, I'm not going to say no to that. But it can almost backfire. Like if Core had never vouchsafed Big Cran Grapple, never posted about it. Now they didn't slot it on their site. To be fair, I told them what I thought was a cool concession. I don't actually know if they did it, but. Um, I told Doug, like, I think you should tell it at your, he owns the stores, the nutrition corners. Like, I think that'd be cool. I totally don't mind that. You know, if there's a consumer out there that would prefer to shop at nutrition corners because he's in Virginia and, and they've, they've treated him great over the years. I don't necessarily think I, I can pry that consumer out of their sales flow and make them order from natural body Inc. just because they want to try the new flavor. Um, I view that as like a, to have to answer the bell and make sure our experience is great, you know? that I can even contend with that sort of thing. But um, I wanted his, his because like you think about it, you, you work for Nutrition Corners, you know Core is essentially your house brand. It's kind of would suck to be like, oh, I guess I can't try that flavor. I guess I can't tell customers about that mm-hmm. flavor. So I think it sort of validates the whole thing. But um, I guess I would be annoyed if like, just be, speaking candidly, if the brand came to me and said, hey, you got to pick up 500, 1,000 units, whatever the MOQ was. And then a week later, they went, nationwide with it and I'm holding the bag, I would feel like I was misled. But that, I mean, again, that's typically sort of baked into the negotiation. Yeah. I think that a lot of times consumers just think about it as access to a product. And obviously, you know, if you're going into this in a part as a partnership, like it needs to be a uh, game plan so that you guys are supported. You guys get a big lift because, you know, and some, sometimes it's available on your website. So people across America can get the deal or whatever. Uh, if in, you're going to sell those five, whatever, 5,000, 1,000, 5,000 units, once that's all sold out, like, It'd be nice to have an exclusive, but eventually people are not going to continue to keep coming to natural body for two years because they have an exclusive flavor of something. And eventually it should go to the whole consumer base. And, and there's a like my favorite example of this sort of conspiracy thinking on the consumer side is that I'm in like the NutriBio bio crew. Like I think I was dumped there by Dan a long time ago, but the, yeah, the original one we did was, uh, <laughs> that's funny. I forgot that you kind of wore that hat. New York Punch. But, yeah, New York Punch. And New York Punch had the white label with Super Stevie on it. And it's very different from Nutribio's branding. If you look at the one we did this year, the Lake Day, it's it's uh, of a piece with their branding, right? It just has like uh, NB sort of logos in the background, but it's still the green bottle with the black label and everything that the consumers expect. But the the white one was wildly different. It had graffiti. It had Steve. Like if people don't know, he has like a caricature of him as like Superman because our logo is kind of like the Superman logo. So all that's on the bottle. It comes out swinging as one of the better received flavors of Intraplast because that's a pretty heady cocktail of aminos, like 20 grams. So you need this pretty potent flavor system to overcome it. That was one of the more potent flavor systems they had launched to date at the time. So mm-hmm. feedback's good. Everyone loves it. After our exclusivity wore off, they were like, hey, we're going to, we're going to, like you said, uh, Ben, make this evergreen, make this a mainstay flavor. We're going to launch it in the regular bottle. We're like, awesome, great. And we had dumped our inventory. So we had, we had, you know, Let's restock the black bottle. And people were you're getting two points of feedback. I, I skipped I, I skipped the plot a little bit. But the first one was before we dumped our inventory in the biocrew group, people were going, when will Nutribio launch this product? You know, I don't want to buy it elsewhere. Uh, I don't trust it. And it's like, where do you think we get it from? Right. But but and then the second behavior was people were swearing, the ones that did buy it from us were swearing that it was different. And I literally had to like summon the 
the decision makers at Nutribi be like, can you please clarify that there's nothing different? But like, they were just completely convinced that the white bottle and the black bottle tasted different. And I'm like, I thought they did. Okay. <laughs> they were, I, I, I saw that was one of my favorite flavors. That was my favorite flavor system of that year. Um, I don't know if the white tub had any magic in it, but I, I thought it did taste a slight bit different. It could totally be placebo. This is part but of I'm flavor. I'm with some of those users, to be honest. Part, that first batch was awesome. Flavor psychology. They're, they're, yeah. I mean, I think it's sort of like primacy or, I mean, who knows? But actually, Mike, it's interesting you say that, but we had a decision point like that in the decision tree this year with Lake Day. They wrote, I, through the betas, so it was an iterative process. You guys would appreciate that. We went back and forth quite a bit and I kept dialing up the flavor. I'm just too subtle, needs to punch more, needs to punch more. And this is the uh, mm-hmm. pineapple passion fruit leg day. And finally, we got to a point where it was like singing for me. It was right up there with peach mango as I think some of the more heady flavor system that they had. It was a little bit stronger, but it, leg day instructions is like 36 to 40 ounces of water. It's not a, uh, you know, like a shotgun or something where you, you just lightly water it and so i'm thinking consumers are going to water this down maybe multiple times during a workout and the other one that we already carried the peachy glutes peach mango was a top seller that's another strong flare system so i wanted it to punch and it, it did and then they were like hey just to let you know we're thinking about dialing that flavor system back when we launch it and i was like i don't want to do that i think we should be in parallel to avoid this conspiratorial mm-hmm. sort of thing but um, ultimately, I think this is a good another, another good proof point for the block party is that they saw how much people liked it at the block party and they kept it. So it is those two I know, at least on paper, are the same flavor system. Right. Well, I, I guess it depends on who you're selling to, because you listen to the Mike McCandless podcast 106 here, um, where first off, like people will use whatever size shaker cup they got. But also um, a lot of us have blown out sucralose tongues. So we are used to, we like a lot of flavor as we get more and more into this. Whereas if you're trying to get this into, um, you know, a soccer mom who buys one thing at vitamin shop, she's just going to get her their face blown off by a ton of that flavor. So it depends on who you're really selling it to. I imagine that your consumers um, are more, a little bit more like us at least and that they're used to a little bit of super I, I think maybe the saving so, grace with leg day at least is that it's kind of like one of you guys was joking about this before where you kind of go too far the other mm-hmm. way where you maybe take too many stims, but it's like, sort of like the the barber thing where you can always get your haircut a little shorter, but it's hard to glue it back on, right? So if you're making <laughs> a leg day or any an intro workout and it's too potently flavored, you can always dilute more, you can always add more water. And I, I think that's pretty typical behavior yeah. or a product that has like a 35 gram active scoop or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The, that's obviously, yeah, it's, it's already selecting for its own, like a pretty hardcore demographic yeah. there too. Anything else? I, I think Muscle Sport launched something at the uh, at this year's block party. Any, uh, anyone else? Tech. Lean Way was Muscle Sport. It was a lemon pound cake. Um, the mm-hmm. King Mango, Glaxon, Big Crane Grapple from Core, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. Leg Day, and then Apollon had uh, Time Cop, codenamed Tim Cop. So I basically took one of uh, Rob's <laughs> like favorite hobby horses and I got to tinker with it, which was really cool because that was a challenge though. That's like, I haven't done a ton of formulating in the industry. Like I've, I've um, advised people, but it was like splitting the gap. There is don't isolate the core audience of that product, but put a unique spin on it. Um, so those, those were the five. Excellent. And then we had some other people debut things at the block party that weren't necessarily exclusive Mm -hmm. to us, which is, I mean, we'll take sort of whatever level the brand can come in at. We're, we're amenable to all that. That's awesome. Nice. So, um, 
So what's next for Natural Body Inc. as uh, as we are towards the beginning of October? Are you just all getting spiced, pumpkin spiced out now, or? How's yeah, that work that's uh, it's a big one. I mean, as as Ben was saying before, it's it's almost like it used to be more ridiculous because that was like a big milestone. Now the launches are so frequent that it can be a bit disorienting. Like this just feels like the latest wave of like enemy breaching the castle walls or something. <laughs> like it just changes week to week. But um, we are obviously gear up to Q4 and, and Black Friday, which is a big, big, uh, you know, X on everybody's calendar. But um, I will say the block party is ultimately not a deeper discount, like dollars and cents, brutal accounting. That's Black Friday, but the block party is more um, experiential, but it has like more merch attached to it and stuff. So those are our two big ones. Obviously, that's why I kind of compare them to one another. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm trying to shift more into content uh, as well, just because um, that is a huge distinguishing factor. So um, I debuted uh, a, a real series. We're going to have installment two this week, but also Ben, I, I don't want to interrupt you before, but the 90 second constraint or whatever it is, 60, or maybe it just went to 90 absolutely murders me um, to the point where it's almost therapeutic for me, where I will do a companion uh, monologue podcast style on YouTube, where I talked off the cuff for nine minutes and that one, that's so much easier for me to do than the distillation of the 60 second idea. It's, it's much harder, but, um, I know that's sort of the, the cost of admission now for good content. So I completely, that resonates with me a ton is, uh, it's harder to do a short video than a long video. You will find, I think, or I mean, you're like me in that you, you don't mind long content, but I found, and this is actually what created one of our best series right now. I found that if I could understand something and articulate it in 60 seconds or 90 seconds now, um, I actually understood it better if I can dumb it down or, or pare it down to that level. And that's what created for us uh, the supplement ingredient in a minute series that we do. Because if you ask me about supplement ingredients, I used to do 30 minute long episodes about like, you know, Pepti Strong. The, our YouTube Pepti Strong ep, uh, video is like not even worth watching because we go so far into it. But to be able to articulate this in 90 or 60 seconds, like I walked away being able to explain it to those new consumers so much better because they need to know what it does, maybe where it comes from and why they should use it. And that's about it, which is ironic because your series right now is, is about your flyby, right? It's um, what I'm calling the founding principles, which really it's cart before horse. It's the other way. The founding principles are, that uh, these were things that I would just come over over and over again um, during the flybys throughout the years. Like I'm just hearkening back to it's almost like the greatest hits of these big ideas that help consumers have a better way to think about supplement decisions, right? So the first one was there's no best, but um, the second one is going to be, I, I can, you know, it's going to leak here, uh, is that my bit about scientists versus alchemists, which Ben speaks exactly to your thing about why like young Ben at Nutribio was confused as to why, like, cause you're right. Like on paper, that's, that's such a, like a formidable formula that you would just look at it and go, but this is better. Like, what are you talking about? Like, look, it's right here. Like what, why is there even a choice? But, but the, the, so how this, this sort of bifurcates is that scientists are people that care very much about that. How much citrulline, how much beta alanine, what's the total active, how much, how many of these ingredients are clinically uh, backed, right? But what do we, what, what problem is it going to solve from a on paper, do we have data standpoint? 
alchemists are people like the old alchemy that can transmute the feeling of the pre-workout into a better workout. They don't really care how you get there. Now, people can be on a spectrum with this, right? It could be, you can be sort of half-half. You can, you can maybe want the, you're very, very uh, stubborn about six grams of citrulline, but you're flexible on the stimulant parcel, or you want the stimulant parcel to be a little bit more aggressive, but it does. So it does come sort of in all stripes, but I, I, I feel like it does kind of lean one way or the other. And, and I think a lot of this, we talked about like people arguing about it, frankly, that's what they're doing is because they're just not understanding the other camp. The other camp is like, I take this thing and I feel great and I have a great workout. Like I don't need to know, understand it better than that. Or without this magic potion, I don't get off the couch after work. I just sit there. But with this, I go to the gym and these people over here are shy from the rooftops. Like, but like, you can't prove that it doesn't have like, it doesn't have enough of this ingredient. Why is that ingredient even in there? That's a dubious ingredient. Like these, these people are talking past one another in some sense. And I created this idea to help them understand the differences in these two camps, because there might be irreconcilable differences, but all these people are still buying pre-workouts. Just, they're just buying it for different reasons and they're ending up in different ones. So that was another one, but it's just ideas like that, that I've landed on through trial and error from doing the flyby for as best as I can tell, because as you said, Mike, the internet does never forget, or the internet always remembers, but it gets a little sticky going back through the archives. But I think 2016 is when the sort of first, it wasn't a full, fully built out series the way it was, but that's when like the joke started. That makes sense. Uh, to your point about alchemist versus, uh, scientist and also kind of your your sport which i i love getting into the fact that you do crossfit because it's very interesting and how you've gotten in there because you, you are in yourself a, a scientist in many ways so your choice of exercising is fascinating to me but uh podium is a very popular crossfit brand and we recently did a video on their pump product which uses a gram of nitrosogene which is obviously not 1500 milligrams it's pretty far away from that but i did this video where i basically asked if 1500 milligrams is the clinical dosage and nutrition 21 has this very interesting data that shows us 1500 milligrams of nitrogen is equal to eight grams of citrulline malate, then what is one gram equal to? Because everyone wants to say anything less than 1500 milligrams is not clinical. But if we have a very, like very clear ratio here of this is equal to this, people use less than eight grams of citrulline malate and don't complain. But why is it that less than less than 1500 milligrams of nitrogen is considered to be useless? And it was funny because I pressed post on that video and like, I think I shut off my phone because I didn't even want to know what the comments were going to be. The entire thing was positive. Every single person received that message. And I think over the next, that's, that's something I want to talk about over the next year is, is accepting these things. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when the Glaxon launched our forums ripped Joey apart the first month that we talked about Glaxon because I don't even remember what it was. They used something. I think it was, I think beta alanine was like two grams or something. It was something less than the accepted dose. But I wholeheartedly believe that in the next couple of years, we're going to start to see combinations of ingredients at less than, you know, their typical dosages or less than whatever the clinical accepted ingredient is and get closer to the alchemist. Like you said, somewhere in a spectrum. Yeah. And just those two camps could each learn, each learn something from the other, I think. And, you know, you get people that are so militant about the one that they they are almost just wholesale writing off anybody from the other camp and um like you said unless there's this weird hockey stick in the data where there's no baseline and then at 1.5 grams nitrosogen then there's a huge uptick if it's more of just a, a 
you know, standard curve, then that doesn't mean that there's no activity at a gram. But now we're doing the Hemingway thing again. That's why I think about this a lot. Maybe this should be one of my flyby founding principles is that like these people that are, are trying to enforce the 1.5 grams nitrosagene are just at that point in learning how to write where they like, they just think it's binary. Either you have the clinical dose or you don't. And in some ways, what they're saying is I know the clinical dose. That's what they're telling the internet. Like I've researched this more than you. And then you're coming along and you're like, I've actually had this conversation even more than you. Right. But like, that's kind of like the game that's, you know, and I wish it wasn't that way, but that's why we have to all keep oriented towards we're helping consumers make better decisions about supplements and learn about them and enjoy them more. Right. And I think that's, that is, it is productive discourse, but it does get a little bit annoying, frankly, sometimes when these two parties talk past one another because they're motivated, their, their motivations are completely different. I think the discussion, at least what I've found, and I, I haven't articulated it yet, but I'll try to say it here. And I think that we need to talk about is a clinical dosage just happens to be what was studied and what supports a legal claim. And I think people don't understand that all we're talking about here is what is legally allowed to be set. And in most cases, the pathway could be activated with less. It's But from a legal perspective to actually back a claim, which is what's really wonderful about so many brands right now is they don't use claims. So it's kind of useless to talk about this. That that's all that that's all that uh, clinical dosage is is backing a marketing claim. So the difference between you trying the uh, Thavage and going, "Hey, this tastes like your favorite red uh, fish shaped candy," and Ghost actually being able to say, "This has Swedish fish in it," right? It's just the legal ability to point to that thing, and other people can gesture at it and say, "You know, you know what this tastes like." It was, you know, or you can like, we can say like I, on the flyby, I can say it's supposed to taste like Swedish fish. I, I just can't put that in the bottle without the express consent of Mondelez or whoever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, are you willing to divulge any other founding principles or do you have any other written out for yourself? Uh, I think the other one is, um, like, mm, I think we'll keep, we'll keep it buried. We'll yeah. Off. Okay. Like it's not quite, it's, okay. you know. It's uh, hospitality is one of them, but that's more about natural body. So those are the three that like enshrined and we, we already covered that, but it's like, like, cool. why do you carry these brands or whatever? I, that's a common question is, is because we're, we're the, you know, we're a hospitality brand that just happens to sell supplements. But, uh, I think we already, we already lapped that. Love that. All right. Well, we're coming up on two hours here. This has been a really quick two hours, honestly, for me. Um, but seriously, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, do you want to share where people could find you? Yeah. So me personally is at Tim Gritzman on just about every social profile. Um, I recently launched a YouTube channel. So look for more content there. It's under my name. Natural Body has one of their own, but I wanted to give them space. Like when, that's where we're going to put all, and we do put all of our like block party recap videos and everything that aren't just about Tim. So that's forthcoming. Every other social media I already have. And then of course, if you want, if, you, if you're unfamiliar with the flyby or whatever we're talking about this whole time, it's at natural body INC, like incorporated. Um, and my business partner is at natural body without the INC. Make sure to tell him if it's a profitable or non-profitable activity when you go to his page. <laughs> I'm totally stealing that too. Yeah, I'll be hearing that. When Ben starts calling. What I like about Ben is that at least he causes the drama on Fridays and ruins his own weekend and it doesn't mess business operations too much. So that's been a, a funny inside joke that we have in the, just in parallel of what you got going over there. But Tim, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we'll have show notes with all the links to, to Tim's stuff and Natural Body Inc. stuff and Steve at Natural Body. So we'll try to differentiate all those. And uh, 
and cite a few citations where we need to here, link it to some of these product launches and flavors we talked about. Thank you so much. Guys, thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. Hope to do it again.